Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Hey, welcome everybody to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. Glad you're listening today. Our guest today is riding an awesome wave of commercial success these days. He's a Louisiana native. He's a multi-instrumentalist, and he focuses on the saxophone. He's also a producer and a composer. His current single, Broken Promises, has reached the top five on all the major smooth jazz charts. Um, And I don't know if this is the first time that this has happened, but both he and his son Lamech have recently been at the top of the charts together at the same time, which is a pretty amazing feat and a pretty cool thing. This funky sax player has worked with the likes of Najee and Rick James and Jeff Lorber and Dave Koz and a whole host of others. In addition to being an accomplished musician on his own, he's also done music for TV and movies. Please welcome to the show, Quentin Gerard. Quentin, welcome, man. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. And first of all, congratulations on the success of Broken Promises. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. If you'd have told me back in July that that song was going to do this well, a lot of did a backflip. So. Yeah. Okay. 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 I, we'll, we'll listen to the song a little bit later, but tell, tell us a little bit about how that song came to be. Well, that's a good question. I got, as you know, Lamech is a son who's a guitar player. Yeah. And uh, we had just uh, recently got him signed signed over at uh, Trippin' and Rhythm Records. And uh, he was working with Mike Broning. And I got to talking with Mike as well. And I said, hey, Mike, you know, I know you're working with Lamech, but did you do you want to do something with me? He said, man, sure. So uh, he sent me over some tracks to listen to. And one of the songs that I actually wanted to do was already taken by another okay. artist. So I said, okay, well, no problem. I like this one as well, you know, which was what is now Broken Promises. So that's kind of yeah. how that got going. And uh, we started recording that song literally a year ago today uh, in December. I started tracking that, wow. that song and, uh, and getting, it ready, getting it ready for the release, which was uh, July 18th, which just happened to be my birthday. So we oh, decided okay. to release it on that day. So that's a, heck of a, that's a heck of a birthday present, huh? Yeah, man. You know, so... <laughs> I was excited. And, you know, working with Mike was just awesome because, uh, you know, first of all, he's just a, a cool dude. He's yeah. just a great person, you know, and he's very talented. Yeah. And we hit it off really good as, in terms of, you know, our vibes together and his style of writing and my style of playing. Yeah. It just merged. And as you can hear on the song, I, I think everybody would say, yeah, you guys working sound pretty good together. I think there's something to be said about that, too, though. I think when there's a when there's that. Clearly, there was a personal connection there with you guys, right? And that personal mm-hmm. connection leads to a level of output from a musical standpoint that really goes to another level, I think, sometimes, right? Oh, absolutely. And I speak for myself in this regard. That's a very important part of, of music for me. Yeah. And recording is energy. Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't have the right energy on a song, people will know. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I'm a real sincere person when it comes to, you know, melodic and, you know, constructing melodies and things like that. So I take that stuff real serious. And I'm not saying that anybody else doesn't. Yeah. But I go overboard with it because when I listen to the song, like in case of Broken Promises, I told Mike, Mike sent it. I was like, look, Mike, I'm not even finished listening to the song yet before I even start recording. So I had yeah. for like a week and a half just listening to the track mm-hmm. to try to get the idea of what the song wanted me to play on it, as yeah. opposed to what I wanted to play on the song. Gotcha. That's cool. 
and I gotta tell you, it's it's gotta be pretty surreal having this level of success and witnessing your son doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah, that's a big deal. I don't yeah. know how or why or where it, it came from, but you know, man, it's a blessing from God. And yeah. that's just where I put it at because you know, we don't think about stuff like that when as artists or musicians, yeah. we don't say, Hey, let's, let us both put out a song and hope it gets together at the end on yeah. charts together. Man, we don't think about that stuff. You know, we we're so into the, let me make sure I'm playing this horn. Right. So yeah. people listening to the thing, you know, that's the vibe. So yeah. my song came out first, actually. And uh-huh. the next release commotion came out a month later, you know, I guess fate would have it that this happened yeah. like this. And from what I understand, I'm getting a lot of feedback from the, you know, from outside that it's never happened before. Yeah. You know, Father-son combination here like this. I, you know, I kind of looked around a little bit. I didn't go extensively looking, mm-hmm. but I did look a little bit and I ne- I couldn't find any other cases of this. So I was like, this is a pretty yeah. amazing thing, you know? So that's awesome. So I got to tell you, you know, obviously I, I've listened to a lot of your music and I get my own kind of like in my head, I get my, what, what's, what's it bringing me to, right? Like it's, it was reminiscent a little George Howard. It was reminiscent to me of a little bit of Grover. It was reminiscent to me of definitely that, that funk influence and that R&B influence is there. How do you describe your music? Yeah, man, listen, I am known as the funky sax player. Okay? Yes. Everybody knows that by now. So yeah. here's the deal. You know, and this this goes way back to when I was in college and I, I actually had a class with Ellis Marcellus. Okay. okay. So, I'll tell you the history of this thing. So he came up to me one morning early, you know, before school started, I was in the break room. It was like at a vending machine. He was getting coffee and he said, good morning, Wilson. You know, what do you, so what are you going to offer the world today? Uh-huh. You know, that's how, that's how Ellis was. He just uh-huh. come up to you and just start hitting you like that. <laughs> No <laughs> so easy said, into it, huh? <laughs> yeah, man. So I was like, I was like, Mr. Marcellus, it's really too early for this. You know what I'm saying? So the thing with him was he said, look, my oldest son is the best saxophone player out here right now. So what do you have to bring to the industry? And what are you going to bring to the, to the genre? Wow. And you know, that was a, that was a valid question. Yeah. And at that point it made me think, and I was like, you know what, Mr. Marcellus, I'm like, I don't know. You know, great question. So that got my wheel spinning. And then it said, it said, well, well, Quentin Gerard W, who are you? as a saxophone player. Yeah. And I started asking myself that question. And then eventually I found the answer in the moniker funky sax player. Okay. And the reason I call myself the funky sax player is because I didn't start listening. I didn't start playing jazz. I didn't start the saxophone and listening to jazz. I was listening to funk music, Mm -hmm. you know, brick slave, son, Ohio players, you know, all that stuff. And my record collection has an extensive parliament you know yeah i yeah. got an ex- oh, extensive funk collection yeah but then when i got into school and you know college and things like that i started having to you know listen to the greats yeah you know charlie parker Sidney bechet's duke ellington you know on and on and on to understand the, the history of this music you understand what i'm saying yeah. so and that's when i got into the jazz and i, I started to have to learn how to play more jazz mm-hmm. and so what i did was i combined the two jazz and funk and that's when i called myself i said mr r and mr uh, ellis <laughs> mr marcellus i'm the funky sax player because i play saxophone but i also play it in a funk manner yeah and i, I give respect to the the old funketeers as i call them yeah yeah 
uh, you can listen to, man, because my biggest goal in life with the sax, I'm going to tell you right now, my biggest thing was to just get in the band with an afro uh-huh. and some platform shoes and a horn section. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. You know, I used to I used to watch Doug Kirshner, Friday Night Special, man. Oh, and yeah. All the bands, Casey and them, they had the horn sections with the afro. Yeah. Man, that was, that was it for me, bro. That was it. That's, hey, that's all right. That, you know, that, that brings back so many memories for me, too. But obviously, you have had your, your success has gone well beyond just that humble goal that you have for yourself. I got to ask yeah. this question. You know, obviously, like, okay, you're in the Louisiana, in the New Orleans area, and you've had a chance to work with Ellis Marsalis. Like, that's royalty. Like, how has that impacted your your life and your career and, and just the way you approach your business. Just like it did with his sons. I wasn't his biological son, but I was yeah. a musical son of his. And it's all about business, man, with Ellison. And he just he just set tone and let me know, look, if you're going to play games, get out of this business. Yeah. If you're not here to be serious and you're not serious about what you're doing and the horn and, and all that, go do something else. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. that was the message from from else, you know, I've 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 had a chance to be to to see um, Winton perform and hear him talk about his approach and yeah. be around some people who are close to him. And there is this, and it seems like this is something that is very much a part of the New Orleans jazz scene. But the soul of the New Orleans jazz scene is this notion of just as you said, being serious, but two it being a family and it being a situation where we help each other and all, 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 all ships rise and we trying to battle each other, but we ain't trying to battle each other in the sense of where we're trying to push one, one down to get ahead. We trying to all help each other to get there and, and express their gifts. Absolutely. It's a family here. Yeah. So it's a musical family. And from trombone shorty to big Sam funky nation to everybody. I mean, if, if you're out there playing, everybody respects everybody and everybody loves everybody's music. So we support each other from that regard, man. You know, you know, New Orleans is not really known historically for smooth jazz as a big smooth jazz market. Right. It it slowly is becoming that though, because we, we actually do have a smooth jazz station here now, WNOZ. Okay. And uh, as a matter of fact, I just met with Tony on Saturday and uh, we met, we were doing a jazz for kids uh, thing that event that he put on, for the radio station and we're, we're in the process of, of trying to put together a smooth jazz event okay you know either annually or monthly here right now to kind of start bringing that smooth jazz sound down to the south that's fantastic that is fantastic yeah, I'm about that so what what are some of the other goals that you say you have for your career you know where i'm at right now it was a goal that I thought I'd never achieve. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, charting on billboard and, and having the success I'm having now. So that kind of, that eliminated a whole lot of stuff that I had on my plate. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. No but, doubt. Yeah. So now, now the thing is for me is consistency, sustainability. Yeah. And just ride, ride it on out to the sunset, you know? That's so fantastic. that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's fantastic. Just maintain it. Good. Maintain it. Good. Well, let's take a listen to that to that big hit that that's been recently tearing up the charts. This is Broken Promises featuring Michael Broning.
that was today's guest, Quentin Gerard, featuring Michael Browning with his hit Broken Promises. So you've worked with a lot of great artists, artists, man, and you've had a lot of experience with a lot of artists. Are there are there folks out there that you like, you know, just love, 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 love working with for various reasons? And are there folks out there that you're, that you're like, hey, I would really love to have an opportunity to work with this person or that person? Yeah, absolutely. On both sides. In my past, I've worked with quite a few folks. And, yeah. and as funny as this may seem, one of the, I guess, from a public persona perspective, I guess would be one of the strangest people I've ever worked with. Uh-huh. But to me, was probably the most fun person I've ever worked with and just had time, a short period of time to spend with. And that was Rick James. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> and you know, man, let me tell you something. Rick James regardless of what people persona of him is or was, he was the most nicest and yeah. generous man you would ever meet. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, aside from his talent, we were in the studio one night and, you know, we were recording one of his records and I was playing sax on it. I don't think that track ever made it on a record or whatever, but that's how the business works. Sometimes, yeah. you know, you go in, you do stuff and if it makes the cut, it doesn't, if it doesn't, whatever. But nonetheless, after the session, man, he took us all out on Melrose Avenue and just on a shopping spree. He oh, said, wow. like, you go down and go whatever store you want, just pick what you want and just tell them cool. I'll pay the bill. I'll pay the bill. So that was one of my favorite people, you yeah. know, and you know, I know he had his things going on with that, but no, just from a if you don't know him personally, man, he was one of the coolest dudes you love in me. And I, I enjoyed working with him. As far as people I want to work with moving forward, I'm actually doing that right now. Mr. Gary Smoot is one guy that I love a okay. lot. We just got off the phone yesterday. We're already working on a song for my upcoming CD album. Oh, great. Whatever you want to work with. So Gary and I have hooked up, and uh, we got one that's cooking in there, as awesome. we call it. Awesome. That's, actually, that's why I got the next trap on. I was actually in the studio okay. uh, working on that track. <laughs> and then I got the email. I was like, yeah, I thought that was today. <laughs> that's <laughs> great. Was today. Yeah, so, so me and Gary's doing that. And then I just finished a song with Adam Hawley, which will be my next single release, I think, in February. It's coming out. Okay, great. Um, so, so me and Adam just finished one. That's going to be a really good song. Awesome. I, I really enjoy it. Adam's another great, great person to work with, just a kind spirit and yeah. very professional, very just a cool dude, man. So that's the thing, man. Everybody's so cool, you know, and, and it's great to – um, you know, I've worked with Jeff Lorber in the past. Yeah. Who's, who's probably – I thank Jeff for – you know, giving me my first opportunity to tour. Okay. That's where I got to meet Dave Koz. I played with Najee on stage, uh, foreplay, you know, just uh, a lot of different uh, special effects, a lot of different acts and yeah. stuff I got an opportunity to meet with. And I've been around a long time, but I had to take a little hiatus, you know, some family things to take yeah. care of my dad, my, you know, I take care of my dad, yeah. kind of things like that. And he's passed on now, but now I'm back, you know, because I got yeah. that freedom again. So that's kind of why you haven't really heard from me in the last decade or so. And gotcha. people are like, well, where? I get questions out like, where, where you been? What, uh-huh. where you came from? I'm like, <laughs> I came from nowhere. <laughs> I think that's one of the came things. From nowhere. I think that's one of the what? things that sometimes we lose track of is that, you know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. folks out here who, you know, life happens, right? And you know, whether yeah. you're a musician or an yes, athlete or right. a business person, you gotta, you, there's times when you gotta, there's other things that become more important, right? And 
Absolutely. You know, I had a situation like that in my life too, where it was time to kind of say, okay, well, I got to take care of my, help take care of my parents now, you know, and I, I would right. give nothing for that time, right? You know, to be there, right? But that's, you know, but, oh, and, and then too, we sometimes think that, you know, like, I think one of the things that I, I, I don't think I've really met a musician yet, probably with the exception of your son, but even in his case, there's, we don't understand how much work goes behind getting the notoriety, right? It takes a ton of work to be, to get to the point where like you guys both now are in the top of, at the top of the billboard charts and things like that. There's a whole lot of work behind that. A ton of work and a ton of money. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) That's what people don't understand, man. This music business game is not cheap. Okay. So, you know, when you're talking about, production fees, studio time, mixing, mastering, promotion, marketing. You know, it's a business, just like anything else. I meet a lot of people that are musicians that, you know, ask me questions. Well, how do I get started? How do I get into this and all that? And, you know, because a lot of times they think that it's it's kind of like, I guess you would say, well, I can sing mm-hmm. or I can play, you know, but they don't understand yes. the business yes. side of music how the machine works. They see it from the camera side or from the CD side, but they never take the time to get behind the CD and behind the camera to actually see all the wheels turning back there. And I tell folks all the time, you know, man, hey, listen, I can tell you what to do, but it's better for you to find it out for yourself because you will really understand. Because if I tell you what to do and I overwhelm you with that Mm -hmm. which needs to be done, you're going to make a decision to either quit or mm-hmm. you're going to say, I can't do it, or it's to this or to that. Then mm-hmm. all the excuses start popping up. You see what I'm saying? So that's the thing I try to tell folks. It's like, look, I can help you and guide you, yeah. but you're going to have to do the work because what I'm doing and what Lamech is doing, we have to do the work to get there. So it's not, it looks like magic now and it's just all like, you know, fluff and whatever, but I have to finance and produce mm-hmm. Lamech's demo. We did a seven song demo. So I produced the songs and, you know, paid for the studio time and everything. And then, of course, when the record company heard it, they like, yeah, we love this, but we don't want to do it. We don't want any of those songs. We're going to do it. We're going to we want him, but we don't want none of the music. You know, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, there goes yeah, all my money yeah. I just spent. Right. So, you know, that was a lot of money invested. Yeah. That's gone basically because yeah. it's not being used. And I'm just sharing that with you guys. So if anybody's yeah. listening to this, they can see that yeah. those kind yeah. of things happen. But on the flip side, he got signed. And, you know, of course, now he's, you know, he's who he is now. So the end result was a win. We won because he got signed. He got his, now he's out. and Everybody knows who he is. And he's got a great career future ahead of him. So. So it was worth the investment. But it speaks to the passion required to do what you do, right? Like this is not like I, you know, I'm as a I'm a promoter now, a new concert promoter. I've been doing it since twenty. I started in twenty eighteen, right? And it's that both sides of this coin are expensive, right? And you're taking a, a huge financial risk, right? But you can't do this if you don't believe in what you're doing. If you don't care about the music and the value of the music and uh, you know what the music does for people and the lives of people, not just you as a creator of the music. Like good music moves people, right? Good music, good music has an impact on people's 
hearts and their souls and their psyches and things like that. And you have to care about that to be willing to invest those dollars and keep investing those dollars when sometimes the payout isn't isn't as evident as what's happened with Lamech, right? Everything you said, man, is absolutely 100% true. We don't do this, or I should say, I don't do this for money. And that, that may sound crazy, you know what I'm saying? But I've been in this game a long time. I started professionally, I guess, back in 1989 when I actually started professionally as a saxophone player. And this is not to break anybody's hearts, but you wind up spending more money than you make in reality. I mean, that's just real. And Quinn Gerard is going to kick it to you real. Now, there's money to be made out there. And just like any other business, you have to understand what your return on your investment is going to be. And just like the example I just gave you, my return on my investment was my son got signed to a really good label. You see what I'm saying? So that's the return on investment. It wasn't monetary in that sense at that time because the investment financially I made didn't return itself in dollars, but it returned itself in a recording contract for Lamette, right? So you're going to have to make decisions in terms of understanding that everything that you do in life some of that stuff can be quantified, yeah. but not yeah. all of it can be quantified. No doubt about it. You see what I'm saying? It, it will be qualified, though. It's the qualitative value versus the quantitative value in some cases. Great way of putting it. Great way of putting it. So did you always want to be a musician, Quentin? Did you know that that was, that was the, the career path you wanted to take? Unfortunately, yeah. yes. Yeah. No, just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. It hit okay. me at age five. My mom took me to a Christmas parade. My brothers were playing. My older brother was playing in a high school band. Okay. He played clarinet. He was in a marching band, and I saw the band come in, and I heard this rumble and I didn't know what was yeah. going on. I'm five years old, right? So she's holding my hand. She said, your brother's coming. We're going to try to find him, blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, man, my, the band was about 100 piece strong at that time. And yeah. drum line, man, it was just unbelievable. And then I finally got to see my brother. And he was in the clarinet section in the okay. back behind the drum line. And, you know, that was my first recollection of live music. And that was it for me. When I saw that, yeah. I was like, I got to yeah. do this. That know? is cool. That is cool. And you have not wavered. That's awesome, man. Let's take a listen to another one of your songs. How about we play Sprigs of Spring?
right, everybody. That was today's guest, Quentin Gerard, again with his song, Sprigs of Spring. So, Quentin, we have this segment that we do on each show. It's called Bout It or Doubt It, okay? So if you bout it, it's something you're down with. If you doubt it, it's something you're not quite down with. Can we get you to roll with us? Sounds like fun. All right. Absolutely. Let's, let's go. Let's go. I started this body body. If you bout it, get him up. I mean you body body. That I mean you body. We say you body body. Uh, I represent. I doubt it. All right, so Quentin, we're going to spin the wheel and we're going to get you a category. Then we're going to ask you a couple of about it or doubt it questions, okay? Yes, sir. Let's go. All right. Your category today is TV shows. All right. So, about it or doubt it? Crime dramas. Doubt it. Doubt it. Okay. 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 Just not your flavor, huh? Not my thing, man. I'm a funny man, so I like comedies. Okay. Okay. I got to tell you, there was one recently. It's, it was set in New Orleans. I think it was called The Judge, and I think it was Brian Cranston who starred in it. It was a crime drama. It was like, I think the storyline is something like he, prominent judge in New Orleans, and his son or somebody commits a murder, and he's covering it up or what. Man, I got to tell you, I'm not huge on those things, but I watched that and I was hooked. You got hooked on it, huh? I was hooked. I really did. That was a great one. Well, here's a caveat to that, though. I will say this. I did like NCIS New Orleans, but I didn't think Okay. I guess it is a crime drama, so I guess I'm a hypocrite because I just said doubt it, but I like (laughs) NCIS. Oh, that's okay. NCIS. (laughs) So I liked NCIS. That was good. But you're more of a comedy guy. I like comedy. Yeah, I like funny stuff. So what's one of your favorites? Sanford and Son, of course. Oh, yeah, man. That was classic. That was classic. Classic, man. I mean, you know, just from my I still, like, I don't know that people understood the comedic genius of Red Fox. Like, Red was, he was super funny, but the thing that I remember about him is, like, he was so quick with it. Yes, yes. I mean, and the way he would approach it was just, like, you know, with the character of a junk man. He's just, like, yeah. unbelievable. So that's still, like, we even Lamech, the next generation, Lamech loves it as well. So yeah, yeah that's cool. That's cool. We're gonna ask you one more about it or doubt it question, okay? Okay. About it or doubt it cooking shows. I'm about it. Okay. All right. What are some of your favorites? Well, I like to watch uh, Bobby Flay. I think it is. Yeah. And um, I like his show, and you know, I like uh, Kitchen. Yeah, I like that one too. And it, I like that one. So I can't remember the one where they they're competing. I don't remember the name of it, but I, I kind of tune into it. Yeah, How to Cake It, I think it's called. This lady up in Canada, and she makes these cakes, and she, yeah, How to Cake It is the name of it. Okay, okay. Now, are are you a cook yourself? I know. I wouldn't say I'm a cook, but I do cook. But I'm not a cook, but I cook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. cook out of necessity, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, but um, <laughs> yeah. So those shows I like. I like those. Yeah, yeah. In my household, I'm not a huge cooking show person. My wife could... Watch cooking shows all day, every day. Between cooking and Hallmark, that's the only thing she really watches, you know. <laughs> so, so when you're doing, when you're wrapped up into creating a song, how do you know when that song is ready to be released to the world? Boy, that's a good question because there are songs that I do do that are not going to get released. And some songs that I do that do get released that I didn't think would get released. It's kind of one of those scenarios where there's a whole process that goes down when you're, when you actually have a concept and then from that concept all the way to creation, all the way to final production. And sometimes 
like you'll be laying in bed, you'll have a dream, which I've had before. And I could hear the song playing loud in my head. And then you wake up and you was like, what was that again? What was that again? And you try to remember that melody. And, you, and sometimes I'll get up in my pajamas, run to the studio and try to put it down to get it exactly the same. But it never comes out the exact same way that I heard it in my dream or in my mind, you know. So you just got to kind of roll with that. And then you just make that song the best you can make it. And then at the end of the process, if for me, if I'm not feeling it, I'll just like put it aside. It's done, but I'll put it aside because, you know, I might go back and revisit it or I might put it on something else kind of depends you know that's kind of how you know if a song is going to get released or not and then typically what we try to do or what i try to do is i try to select songs that i feel up front in other words like we talked about earlier energy it always has to have something about it you know it can't just be a song there's got to be something unique within that song and if that song does that then typically that feeling that i get you know, I'll consider, hmm, what was that feeling about that song and what did it make me feel? You know what I'm saying? And if it made me feel that way, it should make other people feel that way as well. And then we and then I roll and then I roll with it. So when you're wearing your hat as a musician versus your hat as a uh, producer or composer, right? How are those things different for you? Okay. So a saxophone, for example, as a saxophone player. A song can be written in many ways. It could be a melody that I play on my horn. It could be a chord progression that I might play on keyboards. Or it could be a rhythmic thing that I hear. You see what I'm saying? And that's how you know. Okay, so here's the qualification. This is what a lot of people don't know. And I'm going to educate everybody who's listening right now. If a song doesn't have three parts to it, it's not a song. It's just a track or it's noise. That's what people don't even realize. They call tracks songs. They call songs that are not have a rhythm, melody, and harmony. So those three things, you have to have those three things for it to be considered a song. If it doesn't, if it only has rhythm and harmony, then it's lacking melody. If it's got melody and rhythm, then it's lacking harmony. If it's got, you know, so it has to have all three of those things. So for everybody listening, please stop saying songs in their tracks. They're not songs because <laughs> they don't have yeah, rhythm, melody, yeah. and harmony. That's just a rule. You know, it's a rule of life. It's like gravity you know that's what makes a song a song okay that being said so if i write a melody on a saxophone or if i'm playing something and i say man i like this then i will go and harmonize that melody that's the second part i got to take that melody harmonize it then the third part is put a rhythm to it meaning drums and things like that see now that's how you create that thing right and then from there now you've got your basic concept for a song and then so from there you just develop it all the way linearly to the end and you arrange it and things like that. So that's kind of how I do it. Most people do it as well. Yeah. Did yeah, I answer your question? Cool. I don't even know if I answered your question. Yeah, yeah, no, no. You I thought did. I went off you on did. that tangent. No, 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 no. So when you aren't making music, what are some of the things you like to do with your time? Hey, man, I'm all about aviation. Um, I'm a pilot as yeah. well. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. And that's pretty much what I do. I also do, I just, excuse me, I just got into video and photography. So I'm dabbling in that a little bit now. So those things like that, just which are creative things, as long as it's creative, you know, like my wife and Lamech's mom, she's a mathematician and, you know, everything for her is like numbers, you know, like calculations and formulas. You know, for me, I don't have nothing to do with that. I'm like, look, man, if it looks pretty, 
if it sounds good, that's me. You know? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm into that thing, you know? So yeah, man. So aviation flying, I'm working on my instrument certificate right now. And I've uh, been flying for many years. I got my license back in 2001. As a matter of fact, me and Lamech just flew down to Miami a month ago. We spent like five days down in Miami and we came back. So, you know, we do that kind of stuff. How did you get into, um, into aviation? It was either music or a- aviation for me. However, at the time when I was younger, of course, it was very expensive. It still is kind of expensive now. And my mom and dad, they couldn't really afford to, you know, put me in an aviation program. And I didn't want to join the military. So let me rephrase that. I didn't join the military. I did want to, but I didn't because I tried to go in for aviation. But yes, back in those days, you know, there was all these barriers and me being brown, it wasn't yep. going to happen. So they tried yep. to dupe me and put me in uh lay in cement. So when I went yeah. back to the recruiter's office, I said, dude, this, I read, he didn't think I was going to read the, you know, the thing, the paper, the contract. I read it. And I was like, this ain't what I signed up for. And I walked out. So that was my military thing, you know, indoctrination. I got out. So I said, well, I'm going to do it. I'm still not going to lose my zeal for it. It's just that I'll push it down the road and one day I'll revisit it. So, well, back around 1998-ish, I revisited it and I said, you know what? I'm going to go take private lessons because you can still do it. You don't have to go to the military for it. So I started taking private flight lessons, you know, went all the way through the 40 hours. I got my license at about 52 hours, which is, you know, advanced, so to speak. And, um, and then I took my check ride and that was it. Wow. That's cool. So do you, how do you, like you said, you and Lamech just flew down to Miami. Do you have your own plane that you fly or how does that work? Yes, sir. I have a, um, okay. a 1974 Cessna 172 Skyhawk and uh, okay. I, I bought it about six years ago. So it's, it's like the family station wagon. So when we want to, that's cool. You know, if we get in that thing and we'll, we'll go on trips and we'll go places and stuff like that. My wife likes to hike. And then me and Lamech, we'll just go. We like to go have fun, you know, restaurants and things like that. So yeah. just see places. And uh, yeah, we just jump in. I tried to expose him to like a lot. You know, when he was a, a little boy, I would take him in the airplane. I got a picture with him. He was like, I guess, maybe two years old. You know, okay. he backseated airplane headphones on, <laughs> pointing out the window. And he couldn't believe he was in the air, you know. So I tried to, uh-huh. I tried to expose Lamech to a lot of things in life. So he would never, I always tell him, man, don't ever limit yourself to what you can do. So he's got that good foundation. That's fantastic, man. I I can, you know, sitting and listening to you talk, you know, one of the things as I was preparing about this was like, you know, okay, well, I want to focus on Quentin's success, but you know, that clearly you're a good dad and clearly being a good dad matters to you because you know, just listening to you talk about how much, you know, how much you invest in your son and his future, how much you want for your son and his future, man. That's a great thing to see. And, I, you know, maybe you were saying that you don't know how it came that you guys were in the top Billboard charts at the same time. You know what? Maybe it was a fitting thing, man. You talked about being a, a musical son to Ellis Marsalis, man. Maybe it was just fitting that it was you and your son, you know? Yeah, I'm not going to argue. Uh, <laughs> I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, you know? that's a cool thing. It's a great feeling, and I'm blessed, man. And listen, I've had my lumps, too, though, you know, in life. So it, it hasn't always been, you know, I mean, when a lot of times when people hear, oh, he's got an airplane, and he's got a re- his son's a recording artist, and they're making records yeah. on Billboard. Yeah. Oh, they got all this money, and I'm struggling yeah. in life. Hey, man, I slept in my car, okay? I had to yeah. sleep in my car. 
I didn't even yeah. have a place. When I moved to Los Angeles, I slept in my car for about, I think, three weeks. And then my wife had a red light. And at uh-huh. that point, she was going to Loyola Marymount University, and she would give me her meal ticket that she had from college that she yeah. would use. And she said, here, use this and go get some food. You know what I mean? So, listen, I've been there. It hasn't all been easy for Quentin Gerard W., man. And then, so I just want to share that as well so people don't get it twisted, you know, because for every success, there's been a lot of lumps and bumps along the way. But the thing that makes you is how you handle those lumps and bumps and you don't never let it break you. You just keep going. And so if that's the message I want to send everybody, you know, be a good person, be moral, be ethical. Uh, have values and don't ever give up and teach your children to do the same. And you'll be surprised at what can happen. You know, when, when you teach them those basic principles, because they're in you, you know what I'm saying? So that's my story. Oh, well, I tell you, man, you couldn't, have, that's some real wisdom. That's some real knowledge and real truth that you're imparting, man. So I, I hopefully our listeners are, are hearing that and not just hearing that, but feeling that as well. Let's take a listen to one more of your songs. How about we play the innocent ones? Yeah, the Innocent Ones, uh, that's coming up off my next CD. I put that on there for you because Good. I wanted you guys to give a little uh, taste of what's coming down the road. So this, this nobody's ever heard this song. Oh, wow. This is the, the first way. time. This is it right here. You, you, so this is the debut of the Innocent Ones. Yes. So we are honored to be yeah. able to debut the Innocent <laughs> Ones, man. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, that's going to be on the, the upcoming record. So upcoming All CD. right. All right. Well, let's take a listen.
That was The Innocent One by Quentin Gerard, W. Today's guest on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. So, Quentin, that's from your upcoming project. When can people expect to see, to hear that new CD? That new CD is going to be in 2023. I don't have an official release date yet because um, we're still tracking, and uh, hopefully we should be done. I got three more if I decide to go nine on that record, on that album. And I hope to be finished tracking that somewhere around May-ish, you know, okay. uh, April, Great. May-ish. And then we can get a release out in September. Awesome. That would be fantastic. Well, everybody look forward to that. Keep keep checking on all your socials for Quentin Gerard W. and his music. So, Quentin, do you remember the first concert you ever went to see? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was Chuck Mangione at Tulane University. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. All <laughs> oh, yeah. right. All I'll right. I'll never forget that day. My buddy Wilman Smith took me to that. I was in junior in high school. I think I was 17 years old. And he told me, he said, Quentin, uh, we're going to see Chuck. And I was so excited, you know, because back then Chuck was riding that wave, you know, uh-huh. the Feel So Good tour. And uh-huh. um, I'll never forget, man, Chris Badala on saxophone, tenor saxophone, was his saxophone player. And, you know, I never at that time heard a guy play like that. You know what I'm saying? Chris Badala. So, I think, uh, gosh, I can't remember. I think Steve Gadd was playing drums. I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly the everybody in the band, but I know saxophone player because I'm a, I'm a saxophone player, of course, so I wouldn't right, remember right. that. But And then Chuck was doing his thing, and just to see that iconic hat with the long hair and the, you know, uh-huh. flugelhorn, man, it was it was one of those other things that said, I've got to do this. You know, I, I want to do it on that level, you know, and, it just, man, you, in life, you know, you see these things and it just shapes you as a person and it gives you a motivation to do something, you know, and because if you don't have a vision, it gives you a vision. So, and you know, if you see Chuck, if Chuck can do it, maybe I can do it too, you know, but I got to work hard, you know, it's not going to just, somebody going to just hand it to you. You've got to go take it. And yeah, that's kind no of the mentality about it. I got. I just take it. That's great. That's great. So when you go to concerts now, are you able to sit and enjoy it, or are you analyzing or and working while you're there? Probably a little bit of both, but more of the latter. You know, that critical ear is, is boy, it's a – how do you – you can't enjoy anything like that because you're always listening and learning. I guess, listen, I, I saw Miles at the Hollywood Bowl. You know, my good friend is Kenny Garrett. He played with Miles. He's a player with So – Kenny gave me tickets, and he said, like, Q, go. I don't want to watch the show backstage, from backstage. I want to go out in the audience and see what it feels like to be. And he said, all right, go out there and just come on back, you know, after the show, right? So I was up in, like, about the second section, and, you know, to see Miles and Foley and Kay Kagi and Kenny and everybody on stage doing their thing, man, and to think that I'm witnessing greatness right now, you know? That last band that Miles had was iconic and you know i was fortunate enough to be inside of that that room and that crew and you know got to meet miles and everything as a matter of fact me and kenny were the last people that spoke to miles miles before he passed away yeah he called us on a cell phone well not a cell phone a, a pay phone we had to pull over to a pay phone and we talked to him and right after that call he went into a coma and, and he passed off and I wrote a song about that's called Last Call from Miles on one of my Perseverance uh, CD. There's a song called Last Call from Miles. And that's what the name of that song is about, because that was the last call from Miles Davis was to me and Kenny. We told him we love him and, you know, hopefully you get better and you feel better. And 
I always like to see shows to learn. I went to, I mean, I go to Kenny G performances, which, mm -hmm. <laughs> come on. What are you going to yeah. say about that? <laughs> you know, as a saxophone player right there, school is in session, right? So Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so Kenny is a great player. You know, I've seen Najee. I've seen, my guy is Ronnie Laws. I mean, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. come on, man. Am I talking yeah. too much, by the way? You can shut me up. No, I know. We want to hear from you. I want I want you to talk, not me. Because I feel like I'm just going and going like the Energizer and Bunny. And keep rabbit. going, man. Keep going. <laughs> Like the energized bunny. Because I, I get going, <laughs> man, and I think all this stuff musically, you know. That's great. But yeah, man, Ronnie is a huge influence on my sound and the way I approach the saxophone, the way I love to play it. And because Ronnie was the man back in the day. I mean, oh, yeah. Bro, yeah, come on. No doubt about it. No Ronnie, doubt about it. Ronnie, him and David Sanborn was the cats, man. Yeah. And then, of course, and then Kenny came later, Kenny G came later. I was big into Spyro Gyro. Jay Beckenstein yeah. is a favorite of mine. I, I mean, when I was in high school, I never missed the Spyro Gyro concert. And whenever they came to New Orleans, and I'd just sit there like this in the front row and uh -huh. just watch Jay Beckenstein. <laughs> we played the same song, saxophone. I got a same horn, the uh, Yamaha YAS62. I said, I'm going to get one just like that. And I did, you know. So yeah. Jay Beckenstein, Spyro Gyro is a big influence for me. Ronnie Laws. You know, uh, there's a guy by the name of Hollis Gentry. I don't know. He's a relatively unknown saxophone player. He's passed on since, but he's out of the San Diego area. So people down in San Diego would know him very well. His name is Hollis Gentry. He was probably, in my opinion, a huge influence on my playing. And I got to play with him, as a matter of fact. And he always would call me his little protege. I was cool with that because Hollis is a really great player. And he only had one CD out, though. It's like, and it's a relic. So if you could find a copy of it or get on somewhere and get it, I'll send you a copy or whatever. That would be you, great. Yeah, man. If you listen to Hollis Gentry, man, as a saxophone player, in my opinion, again, because everything is subjective, right? But, you know, Hollis is, is like that guy that just plays everything perfect, you know? Yeah. And you yeah. want to play like that because when you hear him play, it's flawless. His fingers and his mind are one. You see what I'm saying? His ideas are just, you know, just beautiful, man. The colors are just in, impeccable. So that's awesome. Those are my influences. Yeah. You know, some of your influences, I, I'll, I'll never forget for me. I didn't know this contemporary or smooth jazz music. I, you know, I tend to call it contemporary more than smooth, but I was, a, I think, a sophomore in high school. And one Saturday morning, I hear my older brother playing something in his bedroom. And we both of our bedrooms were downstairs in my parents' house. And my older brother always knew the music, right? And he's playing something. I get out of my bedroom and I go walk to my bedroom and I go to his bedroom and I would say, what is this? It was David Sanborn's Voyeur album, right? And that for me was just like, boom, that was, I was sold out from hearing that. And I've been a, a fan of this music ever since. And at the very first concert that I ever promoted on the bill was Ronnie Laws. You know, friends and strangers. One of my favorites of his is Third Hour, you know. that You know, that's one of my favorites. But just, I mean, love some Ronnie Laws and love some Sanborn. So, yeah, I'm down with your influences as well. So what would you say would, are your three favorite albums of all time? Whoa. My gosh. You hit me like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, man. My favorite albums. Well, uh, starting from three to one, I guess. Yeah. Would be Miles Davis, Amandala. Okay. That would be number three. Okay. I guess you would have to say Kind of Blue. 
Uh, yeah. As you can yeah. see, I'm sticking with the Miles themes here. And uh, those things are like books. They're musical books that you have to yeah. read. You know, yeah. you need to read those books to understand stand things. And then this might throw you off a little bit, but uh, Morning Dance by Spiral Jar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, that's number that's one. That's a great one. Yeah. 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 Because that music, there's two things about that. And the reason I said that, and most people be like, really, Quentin? But the thing about Morning Dance was what I loved about the record was the songwriting and the commercialability of it. Because Spiral Gyra was selling a ton of records back in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, all the way through, man. And as a musician, that's what you want to do. You want to make music that people like, not music that people study. Yeah. So that's yeah, why what I gave a great you, point. Yeah, that's why I gave you Miles because I mean, if you want to study, you know, Coltrane, Love Supreme, and all that stuff, and I got all that, stuff. I got all those records, I got all that stuff here. But when you say my favorite, I can't say it's my favorite because right, I categorize records into what I like and then what I have to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So if I want to study Love Supreme or Giant Steps, then I'll go pull that stuff out. I don't necessarily have to like it, but I got to learn it. You know what I'm saying? I got to understand it. So when you say, what is, what are the songs that, what albums do you like? Well, those three albums I like because they're just fun to listen to. You yeah, know? You, yeah. They're that's just, fantastic. They're just great to listen to. They're fun yeah. to listen to. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to study those records. You just enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. That's all right. So I'm going to put you on the spot with one more then, Quentin. You're having a dinner party. You can invite any three people, living or deceased. Who's coming to your dinner party and what's on the menu? Who's coming to my dinner party, living or deceased? Well, of course, I'd like to get Wynton Marcellus over there. Yeah. And I would like to have, ooh, this is hard because there's so many people I would like to have there. I'd like to have Grover Washington there. Yeah. And do they have to be all sax players or the. No, anybody you want can be, don't okay. have to be music people. Okay. So Wynton, Grover, and, and Chick Corea, I think. There you go. That's a good party. And what's on the menu? Uh, well, I'm vegetarian, so anything. Okay. Veggies. Cool, cool, cool. The food menu or the musical menu? Yeah, the food menu. Food uh-huh. menu. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Quinn, I got to tell you, man, we really appreciate you taking time today to chop it up with us a little bit, man. Really enjoy your music. Enjoy your spirit, man. Enjoy your commitment to your craft, man. And we wish you all the success going forward. I know we're going to be here, and I'm looking forward to that new one coming out in 2023. And we're, I know we got a lot more good stuff to be hearing from you, man. So thank you for your time. Man, thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I feel honored just to be selected to be here. So I must be doing uh, something right. So I pre- You definitely <laughs> are. The pleasure is all ours, man. We really appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Thank you as well. You all have to That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. 